Dove soap. I don't know how many use Dove soap. I don't need a show of hands, but Dove soap conducted what I think to be uh, an amazing social experiment that many of you may have seen. The goal of their experiment was try to change the way that women view themselves. So here's what happened. They had a forensic artist, you know, one of those are they work at the police departments and they, they draw criminals, they give sketches. Well, they had a forensic artist in a room with his back turned and a woman would come in and sit with her back turned and she would begin to describe herself. The forensic artist would say, tell me about your hair. Tell me about your face. Tell me about your prominent features on your face. And the women sitting with their back turned would say things like, my, my chin is kind of protruding. Or, my mom told me I had a big jaw. Or, I have a kind of like a, a fat, rounder face. Or, I have more freckles now that I'm older. And so the forensic artist would say, thank you. And the woman uh, would leave and he would never see her. But then another person would come in that met the woman in the lobby, a total stranger, did not know the woman beforehand. He interacted with her for a little bit. He comes into the same room with the forensic artist, and the forensic artist is asking him the same questions without seeing him, with him without seeing the artist, about the woman he just met. So the forensic artist is putting up and drawing two different pictures. One of the way the woman described herself and another of the way the complete stranger described her. And the results were amazing. What ended up happening is that the women consistently described themselves less appealing than the way the stranger described themselves. And when the women came to view the pictures, they saw the picture of what they said they looked like, and it was less appealing than what a complete stranger said that they looked like. Let me give you some examples. The first one is a woman named Keila. The picture right here is the one of her describing herself. He's just drawing what he hears. And the other one is of a complete stranger who saw her earlier that day. And the second one is of Florence. Same scenario. The one on this side is her describing herself. And one on the other side is just a complete stranger describing her. And what the experiment that Dove was trying to do is create a tagline. And their tagline is this. You are more beautiful than you think. And they said that what women tend to do is they go around and they analyze all the things that are wrong with them all the time. Any women like that here? And they're trying to say, you are more beautiful than you think. And as I was thinking about this, I'm wondering what messages that women have received that create such a discrepancy. And that pushed me a little further because I'm a pastor and I want to ask this question. What other messages have women received that has hurt themselves? What other messages have women received that have really made their relationships difficult? What other messages have women received that have even hindered and hampered their walk with God? 
And today I'm going to talk about women. I, I know guys have issues as well. Let's save our issues for Father's Day, all right? But for this Mother's Day, what I want to do, I want to encourage every single woman in here, I want to encourage you to start accepting and embracing the messages that God has for you from His Word and to push out the harsh messages of the world, to push out the lies of the devil, and even to push out the lies of your own thoughts. And in order to do this, we're going to look at two women who were not really women. How are we going to do that? Let me show you. Turn in the Bible to Proverbs chapter 9. We've been going through the book of Proverbs. Turn to Proverbs chapter 9. If you cannot find it, maybe someone next to you can help you or look at the table of contents. Proverbs chapter 9. What we have in Proverbs 9 is the end of a nine-chapter introduction to the book of Proverbs. And in chapter 9, we have reached this high point with the choice between wisdom and folly. And what it is is really just a choice between God's wisdom through his word or the wisdom and foolishness of this world. And it's presented with poetic imagery. And the imagery that it uses is of two women. One is called Woman wisdom, she represents God's wisdom, and woman folly, she represents the foolishness of this world. And the idea is this, you, all of you, you're journeying, you're taking this journey, and you're walking on this street of life, and as you journey through life, you have woman wisdom trying to get your attention, and you have woman folly trying to get your attention. Which one will you pay attention to? They both have houses... They both issue invitations, and they both present an absolute different destiny. Woman wisdom, woman folly. Which one will you accept and listen to? That's the question. That's where we're going. Let's do it. Let's start with woman wisdom. Proverbs 9, verse 1. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. So woman wisdom lives in a really big house. If it helps you, just think Downton Abbey. She has a big house. And in her big house, she made this huge meal. And she sends out her servants to invite people in. And what that represents is it's God's feast of wisdom and God sends out his messengers of prophets and preachers and mom and dad and says, listen to the wisdom of God. And her invitation is seen in verse 4. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. So the The simple person here is the uncommitted person. And and I know there may be some of you here this morning who are not committed to Christianity. Perhaps you are seeking, perhaps not. Well, the invitation to you is, come on, check out Christianity. Check out God's wisdom in Jesus Christ. Come, you are invited to this feast to check out God's wisdom. 
not only does she live in a house, not only does she issue an invitation, but she also presents a certain destiny. Look at verse 6. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. So woman wisdom offers life that is into, entered into by, what does it say? Leave your simple ways. That is the language of repentance. So as you're going down the road of life, you are to turn away from evil, turn away from sin, and embrace God's way in his wisdom found in Jesus. So here we got woman wisdom, we have her invitation, and we have her destiny of life. Well, let's flip it over to the other side of the street and look at woman folly. Woman folly, what does she have to say? Look at verse 9. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town. This woman is an obnoxious woman. She is loud. She's trying to spread her influence out over the whole city. And her invitation goes out in verse 15, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. So she's going after the uncommitted. Someone's walking down the street, minding their own business, going on their way, and yet not committed to either way. And she's trying to say, come on in. I don't have a big meal prepared, but I, I stole some water, <laughs> if you want some of that. And in fact, we're going to eat this bread in secret. Basically, she's trying to entice them by this exotic and this illicit fun. But her sin leads to the destiny of death. Look at verse 17. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. That's the grave. So if we thought about this grand house of, of woman wisdom, woman folly's house is a morgue. If you enter into the foolishness that she offers, it leads to death. And the dead are there and they never exit. So do you have the two women, two invitations, two destinies? Woman wisdom, woman folly. The choice is yours. Which one do you choose? Every single person in here is going to say, I choose woman wisdom. I choose God's wisdom. Every single person is pretty much going to say that. But how do you know? How do you really know that you're choosing God's wisdom? How do you know that you're choosing wisdom? Well, I'll tell you this. You can know if you're choosing God's wisdom or not based upon what you do with the invitation. Do you accept it or do you abuse it? When God's truth comes your way, do you accept it or do you abuse it? When someone comes up to you and says, look, I want to show you what the truth of God's word says, do you say, good, tell me, do you accept it? Or do you say, I don't want that, or do you abuse it? Well, let's finish up this passage. Look again at verse 7. We'll go through 7 through 12. Read the whole thing. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. 
Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me your days will be multiplied, and years will be added to your life. If you're wise, you're wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. So these verses are describing the kind of people who respond to the invitation of Lady Wisdom and the kinds of people that respond to the invitation of Lady Folly. You have scoffers. They do not want to be corrected. When wisdom comes their way, they abuse it. They reject and scoff God's wisdom. Well, they alone will be responsible for the rejection of God's wisdom now and in eternity. But what about, on the other hand, those who want God's wisdom accept it. They have a healthy fear of the Lord. They know that he is God, and they are not. They know that parts of their lives are off, but they want truth more and more. Get this. Christians are not any better than anyone else on the whole earth. Too many times Christians may give off this air that we are better than others. And those who are not Christians may think, why do you act so arrogant and act like you're better than me? So let me just set the record straight right here. Christians and non-Christians are, are the same in the sense that neither one is better than the other. So what distinguishes a Christian from a non-Christian? It, it's simply this. Christians realize that they have issues, that they are off, that they're messed up. It's something we call sin. And we realize that we can't fix this within ourselves, that we can't get right with God on our own. And so Christians say, God, give us the truth. And so what God has done, and he set it up this way. He says, I know that you are separated from me. I know that you are messed up in sin. So God sends his son, Jesus. You've heard of Jesus. And he lives the perfect life and dies on the cross for our sin, buried, rises again. And this is what Christians do. Christians say, we need Jesus to be right with God. And so we turn from our sin and put our faith in Jesus and we are forgiven and are reconciled to God. But get this, that doesn't make us better than anyone else because we are a sinner just like other sinners around the world. But there's only really one thing that distinguishes Christians from non-Christians is that Christians are repentant sinners. Do you get that? It means we go... Yikes, we don't like this life of ours, the way we're living. We want to turn from our sin and trust in the wise one, Jesus, who forgives us. So when wisdom comes your way, whoever you are, do you embrace God's wisdom or do you reject it? Now, since it's Mother's Day, I want to spend the rest of my time addressing women. Have you ever been to a women's conference I don't know how it happens, but at a women's conference, some, sometimes there is actually a man who is a conference speaker. How does that happen? I do not know. So I feel like that I am this conference speaker to women right now. I, I don't know how I got here, but I'm going to speak to the women in here. And the question I'm going to ask is that when God's wisdom comes your way, do you accept it or do you reject it? And we're going to look at three different areas where you can accept the wisdom or abuse the wisdom. Number one is woman of beauty. Number two, women of strength. And number three, 
women of destiny. And I put the word destiny in there because every woman's conference has to have the word destiny. So, isn't that true? Isn't that true? You always got to talk about destiny. I don't know. So let's start with woman, women of beauty. Proverbs 31.30. Let's consider this passage. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. So who is a woman who fears the Lord? Well, a woman who fears the Lord recognizes that God is God. She is not. She trusts him. She trusts his wisdom. She, she wants to find herself in him. Now, there's nothing wrong with, with physical looks or an attractive personality, but we all know that charming personality can be deceiving and, and beauty is just on the surface and it's fleeting. That's why a woman who fears the Lord, who adorns herself inwardly, she is the one to be praised. She's accepting God's truth of what's really important. Now, this proverb was written back in the day in the Eastern culture when, where beauty was praised. The inward nature of a, of a godly woman was not praised, but beauty was praised much like our culture. You've got to admit, our culture is all about beauty. It's all about what you look like. And unfortunately, the church doesn't really help sometimes, especially pastors. Words that come out of my mouth can make it seem like that beauty is more important on the outside than the inside. In fact, I, I've, I read about a trend among pastors. Now, I don't know if this is true because I'm preaching to you on Sunday morning, not listening to other pastors. But I hear there is a trend among pastors to say something, and I'm going to say it. So hold on. There's a trend among pastors to say this. I have a smoking hot wife. Now, let me explain why that terminology is not helpful. For starters, if I said that, my wife would crawl under the pew and never come out ever again. There's some other reasons why that terminology is not helpful. Uh, in an article I was reading this week, it, it it's that the reason why it's not helpful is because when pastors talk like that or when Christian guys talk like that on campus or when they, when they talk about their girlfriend that way, what, what it seems to communicate to some women, to some women, not all women, and, and it's okay if you find your wife attractive and it's okay if you say things like that to her in private. I just don't want to hear it. Just don't say it in public. But what it might communicate to some women is that they need to be some Gospel version, uh, version of the supermodel. Like, like, take any supermodel that you shouldn't know about. Any supermodel that she needs to be, a girl needs to be the gospel version of that supermodel. That puts a lot of pressure. And, and, and not only that, but think about this. When you use that terminology, there are women in your presence who may have been abused physically. They may be even sick right now. They may have body image issues. And when you start talking like that, that's very discouraging to them. And, and, and dads, when you say stuff to your wife like that, which is fine to do in private, but when you say stuff like that to your wife around your daughters, 
your daughters are going to start to wonder, what does it mean to be hot? And they may start talking to their friends of what it means to be hot. And how can they be hot? And if they don't think that they're hot, then they're going to wonder what's wrong with their body. And they're going to start to hate their own body. We need to watch our terminology of what we communicate because we want to focus and accept God's wisdom. This is inner beauty of a woman, a girl who fears the Lord is to be praised. And we need to find ourselves as men praising and commending that inner beauty and those who walk in it. So let's be careful with our terminology. The second area is women of strength. Women of strength. The ideal woman in Proverbs is described as a woman of strength. Let's consider Proverbs 31, 17, and 25. I'll put it up for you. It says, She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. It's not her clothing line that makes her strong, but it's her character. This is a woman who puts on these clothes each day, not physical, but clothes of her character that is trusting in the Lord, solid in the Lord, that this is a woman of God in Proverbs who's not afraid of the future. Calamities may come her way. Things may come to make her anxious, but she is strong because she's trusting in the Lord. Did you know there's actually a clothing designer? He's he's now dead now, but he used to create clothes for women. And one of the the lines of clothes that he made is he wanted to create clothes for women so they would feel strong in the clothes they were wearing. And his clothing line has been tagged by this savage beauty where one of the jackets that he created for women actually has miniature crocodile heads on the shoulder pads. And, and his idea is that he wants to empower women. And he says, so that, so that guys and others would be afraid of women. His idea is, quit messing with women or they'll take you out. So he's creating this strength through his clothing line. And I, I doubt there, there are many women in here when they're feeling messed with or they feel like there's problems in their life will turn to certain clothes to feel strong. Maybe you will, but most likely you, you don't. But when you are feeling discouraged, anxious, angry, fearful, whatever emotion may be that makes you feel weak, there may be things of this world that you turn to to feel strong, to, to make it through. And, and woman folly tries to lure you in. She says, you know what? I know you feel down right now, but you know what? You would feel so much better if you just went shopping. Or you would feel so much better if you could just eat right now a lot. Or you would feel better if you turned to alcohol or if you turned to sex to make you feel strong. Just yesterday, I spent some time at a woman's treatment center and it's a big place, and it was a, a center full of women who have struggled with, with drugs and alcohol. And, and I'm not there to point the finger at them. I, I want to say, man, these women have suffered a lot. And in their suffering, they felt weak and abused. And during that time, they turned to drugs and alcohol to feel strong. And right now, they're trying to get free. But my sisters, you need to know this. 
no matter what you're going through, no matter how hard this life is, no matter how weak you feel right now, God is for you. He loves you. He wants you to turn to him for strength. I know it's hard right now. And to say no to the things of, of this world. You don't have to feel strong, but find your strength in the Lord. In your weakness, find your strength in the Lord. And say no to those other temptations that will come your way. And lastly, women of destiny. It's great that we're closing on this one because we've been talking about two women, two invitations, and two destinies. Proverbs 14.1. What a great verse to end on. It says, The wisest of women builds her house, but folly with her own hands tears it down. So initially we talked about this personified woman building her house. Now we end with the work of an actual real-life woman building her house or tearing it down. One creates a destiny of significance and one creates a destiny of destruction. And your house, every woman in here is building some sort of house, whether you're married or not. Basically, your house is your life invested in others. If you are a wife or a mom, you are literally building your house, doing the work of investing in your husband or your family. If you're single, perhaps you're a single mom, you're investing in your family. Or if you're single, you have no connections, uh, you're investing in your friends, your classmates, your coworkers. But every single person in here who is a woman is building some type of house, your investment in others. And and I'm kind of wondering, the people in your life, are they better off because you're in their life? The people in your life, Are they better off because you're there? You're the one that's encouraging them and you're building them up? Or are you the one who's discouraging them and tearing them down? Because when we talk about destiny, we tend to focus on our accomplishments. We'd like to look how far we can get in life. But destiny includes our investment in others. How did we invest in other people? Do we encourage them or do we tear them down? And I'll be the first to acknowledge that investing in other people is difficult. Some of you right now are trying to love people. Maybe you're your children, your husband, your friends, and it is difficult. It is hard. Like right now, many of you would say that you are overwhelmed in caring for people. I don't want to see a show of hands, but many of you right now are overwhelmed in caring for someone. You're just, you, just, you don't know if you can go one more day. You're so overwhelmed. Do not ever forget that Bible verse, that great Bible verse that says that God will never give you more than you can handle. That's not in the Bible. That's not in the Bible. You believed that was in the Bible, didn't you? That's not in the Bible. Because when I read the Bible, I see that God seems to always give people more than they can handle. Yeah, don't you agree? Read the Bible like, man, people are totally overwhelmed beyond their ability to stand it. That's the way God sets it up. We're going to be overwhelmed with the problems of others and trying to invest in them. It's a mess. And so the point is, when you feel that, you are to turn to the Lord. But if right now you're overwhelmed with investing in people and you're just making a mess of it, 
It could be you're just trying to pull it off on your own. You're trying to pull it off on your own energy, with your own wisdom, your own strength. You're trying to be that strong woman. Put your alligator jacket on. But when we're overwhelmed, God wants us to turn to Him and find strength in Him. And we invest in others and we're creating this destiny. We can say, God, you get all the glory because you pulled it off. Because this is a mess, but you pulled it off. So we have women. Women of true beauty, inwardly. Women of strength. Strength in the Lord. Women of destiny. Investing in other people for eternity. And that all comes because you're accepting the wisdom of God. You're rejecting the lies of the world. You're putting a stop to the lies of Satan. And even your own thoughts that are always messing with you, you're trying to reject them and fill yourself with God's truth. You remember at the beginning of the sermon, we talked about the forensic artists drawing the women who talked about themselves. And it was less appealing than the way a stranger talked about them. I wonder, what if God were describing you? Rather than a stranger describing, what if, what if God described you? How would he talk about you? Chances are that God would talk to you, talk about you, in more appealing terms than you think of yourself. There are so many thoughts you may have in your mind about yourself that are lies that you've embraced, that you've turned into sin, and they're just lies. And yet when God describes you in Christ, a Christian, a woman who trusts Jesus, the way he describes you is amazing. Many years ago when I was younger, probably about 15, 20 years ago, I would go to a concert. And I would go to this concert over and over again, you know, uh, some people just go to a concert once. I probably went to this concert probably 10, 15, maybe 20 times of a guy named Dennis Jernigan. Most of you won't know him. He's a singer-songwriter out of Oklahoma, and he sung a song that we used to sing in church called You're My All in All. At his concerts, what he would do is he would have all the women stand up. I'm not going to have you do that, but he would have all the women stand up, and he would say, I know many of you have bought into the lies. You feel like you're worthless you feel like you're beyond being forgiven. You feel like that you are rejected, that God does not want you anymore, that he's done with you. And he would have all these women stand up, and then he would sing a song over them. He would sing a song of, of almost like God was singing over them right there, and he would sing the song of truth, of love, of the gospel. And so for this morning, I am not going to sing over you. I'm sorry. Maybe you were hoping for that. However, in a moment, we are going to have a song sung over you of what God thinks of you, of how he views you. And I want us all to accept it, but mainly the women in here. I want you to think about, no matter how far you may have thought you have fallen away from God or run away or maybe how ashamed or something you've done is foolish or you think that you're beyond his love and grace or your mind is all messed up, let 
these be the words of God, and they're actually from the Scripture. Let these be the words of God that he is singing over you, singing his love and truth to you. And so as we we start to enter that time, what we're going to do, we're going to start with prayer, and I'm actually going to pray God's thoughts over you from his word. Okay, are you ready for that, ladies? I'm going to pray God's thoughts for you. If you are in Christ, if you're a believer in Christ, these are God's thoughts of you. So let's go ahead and go to a time of prayer right now. Father, as we, as we come to this time of prayer, your daughters here, the ones that trust you, that are hidden in Christ, I just ask right now that you would speak to them by your spirit. Speak truth to them right now. God says of you that in Christ you are no longer condemned. No matter what you've done, those of you who have repented and turned and trust in Christ, in Christ right now, you are forgiven. Yes, even of that, of that attitude, of that action, you're forgiven. No matter how dirty you may feel, God says, in Christ you are pure. No matter how rejected you may have felt by your parents or your husband or even your children, The Word of God says, in Christ you are accepted. God picked you. You were chosen. It's not because you did any fancy moves, you were doing anything cool, that he looked down and go, wow, look at her doing all those great things. No, he just chose you because he loves you. You'll need to perform for him. In Christ you are secure. When everything else has fallen apart, you are secure. You are redeemed. He redeemed you through his love. You are a new creation. You are embraced. You are adopted. You're now part of the family. You are justified. He clothes you in perfect righteousness. You are complete. You are not lacking. In Christ, you are perfect. And to put it all together, you are loved. Lord, please enable your daughters to believe your truth to accept your wisdom in Christ, to accept your great love to them. Continue to minister your truth and your love to them.